Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Stephen the Warman Writes Kickfighting Podcast Show. I'm your host, Stephen the Warman, and you are listening to this podcast in various ways. Either you're at my blog, which is lordgaul.podbean.com. I usually try to post every, uh, uh, been more regular lately, uh, every uh, other week, been trying to do every two weeks, but more kickboxing action comes, I'll do every week. Uh, but also you are listening to it on the most efficient way by entering Warman Kickfighting Show into the iTunes search engine and the show pops right up. Plus it, you know, uh, puts your the new episodes on for you automatically. So if you can, definitely do that. So I'm going to go ahead and jump right into it. First things first, I want to talk about Muay Thai not making it into the Olympics. And that has been a big, you know, Discussion. Uh, there's been a lot of contention. Uh, a lot of people have been upset about that, and they look at the things that are qualified, you know, qualified for it. So I figured I would take the time, sit down, write everything out, and let you guys know. This is the reason why I believe that the you know the Muay Thai didn't make the Olympics this time. So first, let's talk about the whys. Why it should be in, and one of the main things that comes into play, of course, when it, you know you talk about the why, it's um, we do meet the main criteria. So, for example, if you were to look at IFMA, I believe IFMA is 125 um, countries registered, if, it's, if I remember correct. Uh, I believe it is uh, at least at least 80 to 100 of them have a women's team for sure. And the Olympic Charter indicates that uh, in order to be accepted, a sport uh, must be widely practiced by men at least 75 uh, countries and four continents and by women in at least 40 countries and on three continents. I do think that that being the main criteria, the main criteria that they're looking for, Muay Thai makes it. Like Muay Thai makes it. If you look at the IFMA registry, it is over 125 teams. Uh, and I know for sure, for sure, uh, at least... Um, 80% or excuse me at least 82 you know uh, uh, I want to say it's around 70 to 80% have women's teams uh, like that's for sure so you looking at it that way it's definitely in also this is also another thing that most people know but it is true um, Muay Thai is, uh, has been received it's uh, it was actually in January 11th I want to say this year uh, Muay Thai received official um, approval from the United States uh, Olympic and Paralympic communities and was uh, recognized as a new member by the USOPC. So in the United States, for example, because uh, that's the one everybody's talking about, it wasn't up for France. It's strange because France was what, in my personal opinion, France was the strongest chance for Muay Thai to get in. There's a huge, huge Muay Thai community there. Like one of the main reasons why I fell in love with Muay Thai is some of the great fighters, you know, that came from, you know, from France, you know, not just uh, uh, the names that kind of, you know, resonate, you know, if you think uh, uh, K1, you know, you think about like Jerome LeBanner and Cyril Abidi, those guys were part of it. But, you know, Kamel Jamel was a huge part of me loving Muay Thai in France. I loved Kamel Jamel, uh, you know, Sophie Elawash, like there's just so many really, really, Frid Volume, so many super, super talented straight Muay Thai guys, like, like specifically mostly known for playing Muay Thai. It was absolutely awesome. The number of 
stars that came from that part of the world. So when this started to get organized, I believe it's 1998, when IFMA started to get organized and putting on shows on a regular basis and having a World Muay Thai Games, when that came together, it was really, really awesome and wonderful to see that this was a possibility and you were going to a country that likes its Muay Thai. So I thought the chances of it was really, really high. Didn't end up happening. Didn't end up happening, so it won't be for next year. So what happened with the the Los Angeles games that are coming up, uh, that is the one that we missed out on, the 2028 games. So a lot of people were upset, but I wanted them to know that there were steps made in that direction. Um, it is important that at least we get that part going. But now we have to talk about, you know, and those are the things that we have going for. We've got the membership. We've got, and remember, it doesn't come down to excitement. So a lot of people think it's excitement. It's organized. It's it's not always going to be the case when you think about Muay Thai, uh, when you think about uh, sports that make it into the Olympics. Another thing that's very important for people to understand is this. As far as the negative goes, the reasons why not, one of the big pushing things or one of the things that, that drives it is how many sports are no longer in the Olympics. So I'll give you an example. Baseball and softball, sometimes they're in, sometimes they're out. It almost depends on what country they go to. But tug of war, polo, power boating, rackets, uh, um, uh, water skiing, um, were all part of the Olympic Games but have been discon uh, discontinued over the years. Uh, cricket and lacrosse are among sports that uh, were dropped but then later reinstated. So you can come in and come back. Uh, you can um, uh, be gone forever, just kind of depending upon the sport. In order for something new to pop in, it's usually because a number of old sports were let go. Uh, you know, in America, we, we got everything. Clearly, you know, American football is the biggest sport, but we got everything here. So, sorry, I had a bit of interfer interference. Back into it, back into it. Uh, so, basically, what happened, um, as I was mentioning before, you need a certain number of sports to drop off to add a new sport. Uh, a lot of people looked at the sports that were added, um, and, you know, they're kind of disappointed that Muay Thai wasn't one of them, but I guarantee you, if you look at money, Muay Thai might have been one of the more expensive ones. Uh, it is clearly, if you run by IFMA, IFMA doesn't, you know, uh, uh, they put the events together, but the countries get themselves there. But it is an expensive endeavor to do these shows. Like it's it to do these events and the amount of days and then renting out the building. It's expensive. So the IOC had to say, hey, are we going to make enough money off of the TV you know, viewership or off of the attendance. And I do think that that was probably a harder sell uh, because they look at boxing and boxing and Taekwondo. Those don't necessarily draw the biggest numbers as far as on TV and as far as, um, you know, attendance. So if you watch the Summer Olympics, sometimes I'll never forget when I first started seeing ribbons. So we already have gymnastics. Gymnastics is one of the higher rating things. Women's gymnastics is one of the highest rating things for the Summer Olympics. And and I remember when they started adding, like, the, or they started to add ribbons. And I go, ribbons? Like, I didn't even cross my mind that that was an option. And then I come to find out that they were just trying to build on the success of women's gymnastics. They're, they're putting in sports that are similar to draw eyes. Uh, and that Winter Olympics as well. Women's uh, ice skating is 
really, really high ratings. Hockey is really, really high ratings. Uh, for America, the sprinting is always really, really high, you know, here. So basically, you want things that are going to do the most drawing. It's crazy because the World Cup usually has extraordinary ratings, but the uh, Olympics, um, the gold medals for them is a lot less, you know, a lot less people pay attention to it. I guess it's, it's a step down from the World Cup, if you will. But these things are all factors as far as what is used. Are you going to draw eyes? How expensive are you? And that's probably something that came into play. That's something I want to note. Another thing I want to talk about, uh, just more reasoning for why I think that it may not have happened. If you've ever seen the, they got a documentary, it's on Netflix. I'm pretty sure it's all over the world, but they talk about how um, World Cup was bought like how FIFA it's kind of like corruption in FIFA and like all these different members and uh, like where money went and it is important it's a factor that we don't want to talk about but it's very much there I don't want to use the word corruption but I do want to use the word the money that goes in has to go to certain individuals for things to happen in the Olympics. I'll word it like that. If you come in, they got to see where things are going. So I'll give you an example. They were thinking about dropping wrestling one day. Like I remember wrestling, a sport that was right part of the beginning. You know, the Olympics, I think it was 241 people when the Olympics first started. Wrestling was part of the Olympics. Then there was a year where they were thinking about dropping the Olympics. Why? As I mentioned before don't have the uh, viewership as far as the TV goes. Sometimes they weren't even on TV. They were just on the app. Um, before streaming was as big as it is now, wrestling was just on the app. And uh, then a lot of people who have interest in wrestling, and it's been around for a long time, decided we can't lose one of the core wrestling, you know, one of the core Olympic games, and it stayed. Uh, and I think that Muay Thai... When it comes in, those might be the connections that need to be made. Who is in this sport or who has been working for the IOC long enough that that's the person that we got to say, hey, this is how this is profitable to you and this group of people. I don't want to make it sound like that's a corrupt way of doing it. I do want to make it sound like that's a business. And the Olympics is a business. It's not just about having a sporting event that's got the best you know, talent in the world. No, 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 no. It is a business. They want to make money. They want to keep it going. And they want people that are things that are going to draw ratings. So that comes into play. The next thing that comes into play is this odd balance between amateurism and pros. Clearly, for most of my life and most of my understanding of the Olympics, it was all about amateurs. Like amateurs, we wanted people that didn't get paid uh, to see who was the best on just the merit of being an athlete. Uh, now, there are ways that you can make money outside of it as far as sponsorships and teaching and stuff that comes with it. But they didn't want to have people that were paid to do the profession. That is changed. That has changed, but has it changed for everything? So I'll give you an example. Unboxing, they usually want to still have the best amateur boxing, like people who haven't fought boxing before, uh, like and got paid for it. They usually want to keep them there. Cuba is built on keeping, you know, between Stevenson and and uh, you know, Rigandau and all the heroes who they've had over the years. They want to keep you amateur. Like, like, like that's 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 their goal for their country. They wanted to, you know, put out we're doing this just for the love of country. We don't need to get paid to do it like that was extremely, extremely important. So when you hear this, uh, 
it's important to know that basketball is an example of the opposite. Basketball used to be only amateurs, and then they started to use pros, pros who played, you know, in Europe. And then I remember if you ever watched the documentary of like, like, like Yugoslavia and those basketball teams, they always talk about how they were able to beat the Americans and then the Americans brought in the NBA players. And they say it as if the Americans cheated, like they weren't supposed to bring in pros, even though those guys were all pros. That was a game where it was bent, like they allowed it to happen. They allowed you to have Olympic, um, you know, level events that had professional level talent boxing to this day still leans the opposite so the goal question i'm getting at is where does muay thai fit in there because clearly if muay thai has their choice especially if thailand if i'm it's just like uh um as soon as a sport or a uh if it's what your country's known for as soon as it enters the olympics you guys want all the medals and that makes perfect sense so if this happens if i'm thailand I'm not trying to send just people that are amateur because who's amateur? Most of these kids are fighting pro from like nine, eight years old. The understanding of that and how it weighs on the decisions of those who are in charge, it's very, very difficult to uh, see who's going to side where. And that could be another factor for why they would consider not doing it. Now, again, I'm throwing out ideas here. The beginning part is very clear. We have the uh, the numbers, you know, we have the IOC recognition uh, as a member. We don't have the, uh, you know, the confirmation that we are a sport. Those are facts. Those are like the facts. What I'm doing now is more speculation, arguments that I think, hey, this has got to be worked out before a decision is going to be made. Uh, even though I didn't put a name to it, I do very much think that knowing who's where the money has to go is very much a part of becoming an Olympic game. So I said that as speculation, but that could be extremely true. So another thing that I think comes into play, and I definitely think that this is a money thing as well, the expenses of hotel room, of plane, remember everything goes up. The airport knows you have to do it. Everything goes up. So just the expenses of if a country is going to give aid for it, uh, let's say you apply, because in America, for example, all the events usually has aid from the IOC. So like uh, from the Olympic, the U.S., uh, uh, you know, International Olympic Committee, uh, we've got like a facility for athletic, you know, athletes. Uh, one of the fighters I used to work with, Kamaru Uzman, he lived at the facility for a long time. Uh, I got to work with uh, Michaela Meyer before she went to the Olympics. Uh, I got to meet people who were there. That is funded by someone. That money is not from nowhere. That's that's given. So for those individuals or for those uh, people who are living there, that money comes from somewhere. I don't know where your country's rules are for if it's an Olympic sport, the country has to give blank amount. Uh, one of my fighters, I'm trying to get him to go to the Olympics for judo. He's very good at judo. Uh, and he's reaching out to Ghana. And they're by the sounds of it, they wanted to... Uh, uh, he wants to do it. They want to do it, but they're going to let him know, hey, we can't financially help you here. The consistency in which this can happen in each country, there are things to work out logistically, and they all have different rules. Uh, I know some countries are you get funding for every Olympic event 100% through the governing body or a good percentage. I don't think that's the same for everybody, and that's something to be worked out. So 
in summary, these are just my thoughts. These are just what I believe, how this didn't come into play. Uh, I believe that it's just, we meet the requirements. If boxing's in, we should be, if boxing in, taekwondo's in, we should be in. But think about it, jujitsu's not in. Like Brazilian jiu-jitsu's not in. It would seem like they, that'd be an easy thing to do, especially if taekwondo's in. But it's not. It's just, it's not that boxing's still in. It seems like it'd be easy to add Muay Thai, but it has not. So don't overthink this. Don't be upset. Let's keep doing the work. Get behind guys like Chase Corley here in the U.S. Get behind your IFMA events. If they start streaming online, make sure you're watching them. They got a YouTube channel. Make sure you're paying attention to it. Know who the champions are. Do your best from a visual standpoint so that people can't deny it. So they go, okay, wait a minute. This is high level. We need to be paying attention to this. You need to be paying attention to it. So we've got to do our part. And then again, and press on your athletes to do the amateur events. If IFMA does a national tournament, try to have them there. Uh, in America, we have TBAs. Try to have people there for your Muay Thai tournaments. Uh, I'm going to get one started, mostly for kickboxing and Muay Thai as well. We want to keep doing stuff like that. And eventually, we'll knock that door down. But understand that it's not just as simple as it's an entertaining sport and it's got history and we love it. It's going to be more than that. There are a lot of things that come into play. So I'm going to go ahead and look at some of the uh, previews for coming up this weekend. I won't talk about them all, but I'm going to talk about the main ones. First things first, you know, because this one is near and dear to, to my heart anyways. Um, I am all about Jonathan Haggerty. Like, I think he is a special, special talent. Uh, I'm hoping that every single time he gets the opportunity to compete, more people have eyes on him. He's going to be going against Fabricio Andrade. Uh, and this fight is going to be taking place for the Bantamweight, the interim. I hate interim. I hate all interims. I think this one's might be... I, I can't remember if this is interim or not. I feel like it is. But anyways, it's for the Bantamweight title. I never, ever, ever, ever want titles that are interim i always want the real thing or just a regular fight with that said jonathan haggerty and andrade are going to go at it haggerty of course the muay thai champion who had one of the all-time great wins over nago earlier this year not just that he won but he won by ko he's a talent he's a special talent and the only question at this point now is where will he finish and clearly liam harrison is the standard if you were to say hey who's got the best resume in all of England, uh, who's the best Muay Thai fighter from England, without hesitation, I'm going to say Liam Harrison. Not that others haven't fought well, not that he hasn't lost, but as far as what he means, not just as an athlete and what he accomplished in wins and losses, what he means to the culture of Muay Thai goes so, so far. He's number one. So as Haggerty continues to, you know, develop his legacy, winning this in kickboxing will add on to that. Clearly, more things have got to be done. Uh, I like him in one championship. Uh, at some period of time, I would like to see him go against the better guys in glory, uh, in particular because he's you know close to Petch, and Petch, uh, Petch Panarung is considered the best kickboxer at his, um, you know, and they're kind of close in weight division. He's considered the best. So at some period of time, they got to meet. I don't know what promotion or where, but they got to meet. That goes a long way. But as far as this one goes, we want to see him at his best. We want to see complete, clean kickboxing in space. But we, we want to see him sit on his shots, land clean, effective offense. And if he can get him out of there, get him out of there. But Jonathan Haggerty has been all, he, he has been a recognizable star in Muay Thai 
since the first Raw Tank fight. Uh, he was good before, but that was the one that put him on the map. So now it's about growing his brand and seeing where it goes. Um, Sexon is going to go against Kareem Benui. That's another one to be looking out for. Kareem Benui been in the game for a while. Um, We've got uh, Zhang Pimian is going to go against Reba uh, Batello. Uh, and then the other kickboxing is Anna Supergirl. Joran Saka, she goes against Christina Morales. Uh, Christina Morales seems, you know, the uh, the Spanish fighter fight several times. Uh, Supergirl is very talented, but man, if the rule set is kickboxing, sometimes girls are a little bit savvier than her as she can, you know, she plays the game, but she's still good. She's still talented, but she definitely plays the game a lot. And I think she struggles when people can, you know, give a lot more clean kickboxing if they offer that. But man, I think Supergirls is a good opportunity for her. And um, hopefully um, it's a good showcase and both girls put on an ex excellent fight. Then we're going to go again to the Big Glory kickboxing card. And there have been some things that have moved around. Uh, I don't know how they've made these matches up, but definitely some things that have come out. Uh, Figueredo, uh, we're going to start with preliminary, the prelim card. Um, Figueredo, uh, Lem, uh, Landem is going to go against Sufjan Awad uh, Adik Hel Helik. Uh, I've only seen Abdul Helik fight a few times so this is another opportunity for me to see him he's the guy who you'd be the favorite of the two uh landman is definitely new to the glory ranks and the stars the uh you know welterweight division goes so this is an opportunity for him hopefully they put in a good show and we'll see who comes out there robin sirik goes against ishmael uzni uzni talented sirik i think has got the uh I feel like he's a little bit more consistent against high-level guys. Whether winning or losing, I think the offense shows up a little bit more there. But Sirik's very tough. Uh, we'll see how Uzni comes in, and uh, this is be a good showcase and a good opportunity for me to see more of him on a higher stage. Um, Don Snow is going to go against uh, Erijik Stunkovic. Stunkovic, I've seen a couple times. He is a talent. I think that he'll be favored in this one for you know what he brings to the table. Uh, but you know we'll see what happens with Don Snow. Again, these are all welterweight bouts, and it shows that they're trying to build that that division up, and that's always a good sign. Uh, but the first three fights in the card, all welterweight division, that's awesome. And then this fight, I do not know if it's still happening. Uh, Ilias Homonche, I thought, dropped out of the fight. Uh, he's supposed to go against Ivan Galaz. Galaz now back at uh, middleweight. Uh, Ivan Galaz has got one of the most interesting resumes. He is clearly in south america the best kickboxer at 205 like he's got so many elite wins around the light heavyweight division uh he's gone down the 185 and he's got a win and a loss here as far as glory goes but man i like him he's a veteran he's a tough guy and when he was out of glory i felt like he weren't he won his way back into glory so he's a talent definitely a guy to pay attention to and look out for but if this were to happen i think uh Elias homoshe has a much better skill set and he's a little bit uh, faster and more developed as a talent and the division you know as a talent uh, not necessarily an experience but in talent I think he has more but I believe this fight was dropped I'm just going to say it just in case something happened but I thought it was dropped then we move to the main card Abraham Vidalis goes against Amid Shiki uh, Moso 
This is an important fight for Vidalis. Vidalis is one of the few people to get a title shot coming off of a loss, if I remember correctly. Uh, and I think he had some good moments, but in the end, Pesh Benarun was just too talented. Uh, Abraham Vidalis, of course, I've got a, a soft spot for him because when I was a matchmaker for Glory Kickboxing, I signed him. Like He was the guy who I found out about. He was young, had a look about him. Uh, he wants to be a dentist, so he's in school. Uh, worked really hard. I thought that he could be a star in kickboxing, so it's awesome to see that he has been in glory kickboxing fighting and winning uh and you know competing at a high level it's just really really cool to see um hopefully he keeps that going uh mosa i've seen fight before so this is a tough one uh i think that this and it's one that mosa needs so uh, this is going to be a good back and forth should be a fun one i'm excited ibrahim Elboni gets go against stefan uh latishku Elboni, I've talked about on this show many times. He's talented, very talented kid. Uh, definitely not kid anymore, been in the game for a little bit. But man, as they develop their light heavyweight division, he's going to be part of that. He's going to be a name that I think that you'll hear fighting, you know, uh, Denegi Abenya, fighting, you know, the better guys in the division. Um, he's going to be a name. So let's start looking out for him. He's a talent, and hopefully it moves forward. Uh, Stefan Latescu. Uh, Still talented enough to make something happen. Still talented enough to, to be there. But he has an uphill climb and he's fighting a guy who is extremely high level. But that's why they fight the fights. Fights find the right opportunity. Score, get a knockdown in three, you know, three rounds, three minutes. Something could go your way for sure. Jay Overmeyer goes against Chico Kwasi. This is going to be dope. This is going to be a fun one. Very, very talented guy. Both guys. Kwasi, of course, is has got a lot of momentum. He's very, very skilled. Jay Overmeer, uh, also talented. This is one of those. This card in general is the best glory kickboxing card, I think, in the, in the last couple of years. Top to bottom, I love everything about it. Very, very good stuff. Can't wait to see this one. Sirkin Okalajan as he goes against Eric Bukem. This is a pick'em fight. Sirkin, of course, he'd be throwing them things. Known for getting, you know, uh, letting them hands go and scoring, you know, uh, big offense. And, of course, we know Bukem, who put together one of his better kickboxing performances this year. He's been looking better as a clean kickboxer as opposed to just a guy who throws big shots and gets knockdowns. This is a pick and fight to me. Any guy can take this one. Bokem, of course, has offered more consistent kickboxing late, whereas Sirkan is more of a find the right moment, get a knockdown kind of kind of athlete. Excuse me. Both uh, got KOs in their history. This is going to be a fun one. I'm really, really excited. Muhammad Missouri, uh, of course, is a... Well, you guys don't know him as Muhammad uh, Missouri. You know him as Hamicha. He is... To say he's talented is 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 an understatement. Not only is he skilled, he is explosive. He's got some highlight textbook KO finishes that when you show them and you're like, man, this guy's fighting, he's must-see TV. He's going against uh, Diagali Kamara, who is really having a solid year. Um, Kamara is... is very very intelligent fighter and he's got a different style uh, you know I all have to be a combination low kick guy not everybody has to be that you could be a mix you could play he sometimes he's got a tie style sometimes he plays this uh um uh you know kind of long guard single kick game uh kamara is very interesting but Hamicha, we know what he's going to do. He's throwing very, very clean power combos, and he's going to fire, you know, follow it with very high, uh, effective uh, low kicks and high kicks. 
Kamara's got to be on his best game because if not, Hamicha is going to run him over because he is that skilled of a guy. If Kamara isn't his best version of himself, Hamicha will get him out. The one advantage that Kamara has is activity. Hamicha has not been very, very consistent over the years. So that will hurt him for sure. But man, he is a guy who, if you want to get someone into kickboxing, you want them to watch Hamicha. So should be a good one and another good fight on a very good card. Next up, we've got Donovan Vici as we go against Ma uh, Michael Bepea. Michael Bepea is talented, and he showed very good talent in recent fights. He's got an uphill climb. He has got an uphill climb against Donovan Vizier, who I show to my students. He is the standard of kickboxing in this world right now. If you would say who is the best cleanest, who's got like the best technique, who represents the sport at the highest level, in my personal opinion, no hesitation, Donovan Vizier is right at the top of that list. There are other skilled guys on that list. Donovan Vizier is number one. He has got clean combo to low kick his boxing, the sharpness of his kicks, how he you know does the uh, 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 kind of uses paw jabs so that he can get a hold of the gloves and split the guard with his knee. He's a complete kickboxer. So, Michael Bopea, you've got to be your best version or you are going to lose. Uh, and Bopea showed it. He's very, very talented. He's got the punching power. Uh, he's got good skill. But five rounds of Vise, he's got to be his best. I expect this one to be an awesome fight. Deneji uh, Abenya, it's... Man, hold on one second. I got to look it up. I'm going to be mad at myself for this. Uh, the... There was a late replacement in that card, and I don't have it in my notes. So please forgive you, boy. I'm looking for it right now. Du, du, du. Because, I mean, it just happened. Okay, it is Mohamed uh, uh, Tuchesi. He is the replacement in that one against Danegi Abenya. Abenya, of course, ripped up, looks the part... People forget, even though he lost uh, uh, Alex Pereira and he was he was stopped. I was there. I was there for the fight. I was live sitting ringside, and you know I was working for Glory at the time. He did a lot of good things. He had a lot of good work, uh, good combo work, able to score slow kicks. He is a talent, and I know he's coming off of uh, you know. There's some controversy with how he had the title in the first place, you know, uh, you know, because basically uh, there was a cut and he ended up winning the fight. And afterwards, they haven't done the rematch yet. But, you know, uh, hopefully that comes down the road. But Abenia's looked the part. He has been talented. He I expect him to go out and be very skilled. He should get the decision in this one just because he's put the preparation in. But Muhammad Toshi, Tuchasi, uh, talented guy. Glad that he stepped up for this opportunity. And at the top of the card, Rico Verheerven takes on Kevin Tariq Osaro. Osaro, Cookie Monster, he's got a he's got a, a fight on his hands. Even though Rico hasn't been in the game for a while, he's still one of the most skilled kickboxers in the history of the game. Unchallenged talent. Like like in his era. His size and strength and his punching power got better. He wasn't the best puncher. He's always looked the part. He's got muscles. He's 6'6", 6'5". He's thick. He's always looked the part. But as far as combination, the low kick game to the lead leg to the inside rear leg, the sporadic high kicks, the clean boxing, the fact that he has knocked out, you know, knockout victories over hitters in his division, Osaro coming in, of course, off of the victory where, you know, his opponent got injured before he got the knockout, but he's still talented. And the Nigerian's going to bring a great fight, but he has got a fight on his hand with Viheran, who is really an all-time, all-time great. The only thing that really hurts um, 
Vohirvin, as far as his resume historically, is that he didn't fight in the best era. But he has been hands down the best heavyweight of his era of, of right now. And uh, I'm excited to see what comes from that. So God bless. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the podcast. I will see what my schedule is. I may do a, another podcast right after the Glory event. I'm going to be tweeting as I watch it. But, man, we're talking about the best of the best right now. And uh, he's definitely, you know, uh, this, this card, this Glory card is one of the best events of the year. So, God bless. Thank you for your time. And uh, I'll see you on Tuesday. Or, excuse me, on Saturday afternoon. Uh, Saturday evening for those in Europe. Or I'll see you on um Tuesday or Wednesday next week. God bless. Have a good one. Peace.